Welcome to Sourcing Journal Radio, our weekly check-in with apparel insiders and thought leaders, which spotlights a variety of topics currently driving change in the market. Tukatech is the garment and apparel industry's leading provider of fashion technology solutions. Tukatech's advanced software and hardware gives designers, manufacturers, and distributors the tools needed to streamline operations, increase efficiency, and expand profits. All right. I am Edward Hertzman, founder and president of Sourcing Journal. Today we're going inside a brand that's made in the U.S. that takes full advantage of some of the latest apparel production innovations. We're joined by Ram Sareen, CEO and founder of Tukatech, a leading provider of fashion technology solutions, including 3D virtual prototyping, automated spreaders and cutters, and RFID bundle trackers. We're also joined by Dove Charney, founder of Los Angeles Apparel, his follow-up to American Apparel, which he also founded. The new brand, like the first, is founded on American garment manufacturing. Uh, Dove and Ram have worked together to set up the automated design and production systems used for Los Angeles Apparel. Uh, Dove, Ram, thank you for joining us today. Dove, I want to I kick it off with you. Um, as you know, brands today primarily work with third-party manufacturers to handle their production. Um, you're producing and have been producing in your own factories. What's it like to build out a factory? What are some of the pro and cons of working in your own space? Well, the fact when you manufacture your own things or work with partners that are close by in Los Angeles, I, I personally, I'm vertically integrated. I sew all my own cut, sew all my own product, but I'm not, I also want to say that if so, my customers are able to penetrate my factory and they're almost become my partners in many cases, specifically when they're local. But I said, the advantage of making your own stuff is there's no one else to blame but yourself when stuff goes wrong. If you want to run overtime, you run overtime. If you want to cut faster, you cut faster. If you want to sew more precisely or change the specification, you change it. You have the flexibility of doing it yourself, just like if you're cooking your own meal. And by re this relentless pursuit of outsourcing, which has been the thesis and theme of local manufacturing for the last three, four decades, we, you basically lose the ability to control your destiny. This is control your own destiny. And it, it, for me, it's a path of least resistance and it's the least costly way to make apparel. So Dove, um, Los Angeles Apparel is your second big venture. What's changed since you were designing the process and selecting the technology the first time around? In what ways is your operation more innovative this time? Technologies are more advanced. Um, there's new, some new sewing equipment. The software is better. Even Microsoft Excel is better today than it was five years ago. So everything's a little bit more um, sophisticated. You know, you have, new, you have new sewing machines that are out. The workers are even more motivated experience because we're rebuilding the company. Um, we've instant brought in new technologies. RAM systems at Tukatech have evolved. Their, their versions are more advanced. There's 3D. The interfaces, all the operating systems are better. So it's, a, it's what we had before, but evolved and refined. Of course, from a design point of view, it's also revolved, uh, evolved and refined. Ram, um, what are some of the 
latest digital tools and automated advances you are able or were able to bring to the new factory setup? Well, um, as Dove said, because Dove has been working with our technology, the American Apparel, um, at that time, the focus was just get it right first time, save the fabric, get the best utilization through technology, whether it was the marker making systems or planning. Um, and I must say, uh, even we learned quite a few things from guys like Dove, because when we are working with work, we're working with one vendor doing one thing, one brand doing one thing, but at the American Apparel, Dove was totally vertical. So for him to be able to get how much yarn do I need, how much, <clears throat> which width will be most um, beneficial for the least amount of um, wastage, can I mix styles? We actually ended up learning a lot of things and putting that into our technology for our other customers around the world. Um, of course, we didn't have 3D technology at that time when he was running American Apparel at American Apparel, but in Los Angeles Apparel, we have from end-to-end -end solutions, which really helps because with the cloud collaboration, doesn't matter where his team is, they're all connected with the design, they're all aware of what the utilization, what the costing is. Sometimes they are making things on the fly, decisions on the fly. And the only way they're going to be able to give that solution or the decision right if they have the right up-to-date information. So the technology plays a major role. Uh, but you know what? Um, it also is the person who's driving the company and implementing. I have met with, I've worked with a lot of people and I have utmost respect for Dove only because of his product knowledge, his drive, enthusiasm, and fearlessness of putting things in and make it happen. Yes, we can take the horse to water, but this horse is drinking it without us motivating him. So, uh, Ram, you know, throughout this conversation, there's two things I really want to, to touch on, and that is speed to market and automation. Uh, very different uh, um, points. But first, when it comes to automation, there's a lot of talk about on-demand manufacturing, um, automating the entire manufacturing process. But there's a lot of disagreements as to what could be automated. How far away are we from completely, you know, scaling, uh, you know, a completely automated factory? What's your take on this? Well, um, you know, this on-demand manufacturing is becoming a buzzword. Although if you look at the history of Tuka Tech, we are the one who invented on-demand manufacturing. We're the one who showed in 2012 the first proof of concept in conjunction with Cal Poly Pomona, where the person was scanned, person chose, person configured a style or designed a style for themselves. We cut and sewed and delivered within four hours. The first company in the world to go with this on-demand manufacturing was a California company called Volair since 2012. And we've got hundreds of companies who are doing 
the so-called on-demand or micro factories. But just take this a step inside, what happens with the large brands? The large brands have almost the same thing in their product development. So rather than making one garment for a customer, why can't we utilize that technology and all of it or part of it in our product development and shorten that cycle time? In Los Angeles apparel, we don't have on-demand manufacturing, but they have all the components, you know, the laser cutter with the camera to identify the the prints and the logos and the cutouts and cut single garments, they are using the entire thing for their product development. So they can really get the sample approved within hours, not even days or weeks, but within hours from pattern to um, graphics to cutting and sewing, all that's done I don't know. Dove, what are you doing? About 60 to 70 samples a day? You could say that much or sometimes much less, but you say 60 samples could be 10 versions of the same thing. And that has to be vertically integrated. You have to run quick. You could make you could make nine samples in two hours just by playing. Should it be higher the neck, lower the neck, wider? You could do all that. I want to point out something that was mentioned earlier also is like Graham... One of the big things, I, I do my own cutting. And Ram's system used to take about 12 minutes to optimize a marker. Today, that's now two, three minutes. And the, uh, the fabric utilization is even better in terms of the algorithms they've used. So everything is getting better. Everything is getting refined. Things are moving faster. Automation of manufacturing, for example, is, is, is it, it's an ongoing, relentless effort. But it's going to beat the offshore on the long term, it will beat the offshore model because the offshore model is too slow to react. To, for example, this morning I found out that we were out of a particular fabric. I'm able to, I knit locally, so I'm going to knit today. I'm going to dye the fabric tomorrow. I'm going to cut it on Saturday, and I'm going to sew it on Monday, and I'm done. That's the speed of manufacturing that is now possible with vertically integrated manufacturing. Vertically integrated manufacturing could also be done in could also be done in Sri Lanka. Some companies will, of course, remain in New York City and deal with a company in Sri Lanka doing the same thing. But there is room right now for domestic opportunities, and the money the the money is involved. It could be potentially in the billions of dollars, because you have this new movement right now with drops. You know what I'm when 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 a celebrity or an influencer wears a particular garment that has a million followers and say, "We love this T-shirt." You don't know how much he's going to sell or she's going to sell until they put the post. Then it could be you need 9,000 pieces. Vertically integrated local manufacturing, you could produce 9,000 pieces in two, three days. That's the beauty of what can be done. And that can't be done in Tijuana. It can't be done in India. It has to be done locally. And it's the cheapest and fastest way to get it done. Another thing is if you import all the time, you run into this horrible thing where you buy the, the spec is wrong, but you brought in a full container and you're stuck with substandard merchandise. There's a cost to that. So these are the opportunities now to rapid reaction urban manufacturing, which allows you to take advantage of opportunities that you would are not ordinarily able to take advantage of 
if you were working in the offshore model. And the second thing is, the sec- or the outsource model, and the second opportunity is to avoid mistakes, being integrated into your product line because you're not present in the factory. At the same time, RAM has opportunities where if you are working with a factory in India, you can really communicate with them from your design floor to that factory in India. So that's an alternative stream of thinking that kind of counters what I'm doing. Dov, why is it that, you know, we had a conversation earlier today um, with with a VC investor and, and we were talking about how it's so obvious that brands need to cut their development time and their calendars down because to your point, planning six months in advance, bringing in all this inventory, tying up your cash flow is just a recipe for disaster. As you said, in four or five days, you're able to react, get the product to, to your customer and really limit your, your liability. But why is it, no matter how many times we educate our, our customer or, you know, people hear you speak about this model. I mean, why are they unable to implement this? Because American management is lazy. That's it. And what's going to happen is the Indians or the Chinese or the Sri Lankans or the Canadians are going to pony up and automate. And they may be even using RAM system because RAM is a global player. He doesn't care. You know, he did, he's, he's a borderless thinker. He's as happy to help a manufacturer in India as he is to help a manufacturer in South Los Angeles. So it doesn't really make a difference. You understand? He's there to serve his customers and he's not, he's not a nationalist the way maybe our president is, okay? But what I'm saying is the American management is lazy is number one. They don't want to take it. They don't want to dive in and do it. They don't have that Elon Musk kind of charged, let's get it done, okay? And the second reason is the institutional financial players don't want to finance equipment. That's another little bit of a thing. But when you do take the chance and you do take the risk, and I've taken that risk and I'm taking that chance, and Ram has helped me get that done. He was one of the first major vendors to support me. And he put in his machines and he found and helped me obtain the financing, et cetera, et cetera. You can win. The, the bottom line is American innovate, the, whether it's American innovation or the spirit of innovation itself, right? Innovation, hard work, um, creative thinking, contrarian thinking can make the magic happen even in the face of $30 per hour wages. Because we have an advantage, we have an advantage, a geographical advantage that no one can take away from us, uh, that, that I am in the city of Los Angeles, I am in California, I am in the United States, this is the, the largest economy in the world, and it's a great opportunity and a great honor to be here, okay? It just To manufacture within the market is a huge opportunity, and if you get really good at it, you can start exporting. And we've exported hundreds of thousands of dollars on the millions of dollars we've sold in the last number of weeks. Okay, to Europe, and I hope this trade war doesn't hurt that, but to Europe, to China, to Japan, it's, to Korea, et cetera. So there is a great opportunity to vertically integrate and take advantage of, of technologies that are out there. And, and, and Ram is a player, and, and he's a creative thinker. And Ram's company is one of those partners that can help you do that. Uh- I, I just want to I just want to mention something because um, you guys are sitting in New York and um, I'm not sure how exposed you are to the uh, Los Angeles industry, but um, we are as Americans 
We are our own worst enemies. Back in the early 80s, when I was doing consulting work, setting up factories in Asia, working for American companies and Canadian companies, we were setting them up to show them how to manufacture the American way. But we had the innovation, we had the development rooms, and we had the little factories and so on. Only the excess, we sent it out. What are we doing today? We are literally handing them our IP on a silver platter. Who do we make for? Who is our customer? What the price is? What the fit is? What the sample is? What the development? We are asking the vendor to do everything. In case we were thinking of reducing our expense and time, we've actually gone the opposite way. This ship over the years took the course which we never intended to, and it's very hard to turn the ship around. In the meantime, I'm a manufacturing guy, and we all know innovations happen on the manufacturing floor, not on the drawing board especially in the garments when we don't even make patterns. New York is so far behind, it's not even funny. It is pathetic. Come to Los Angeles, where you have hundreds and hundreds of companies who develop, deliver, manufacture with technology, the speed that cannot be even measured. When I tell you the major brands, the fast fashion people come here to understand what is these people's secret, it is not just one thing. Look at the small little guy who's making 300 new styles every month to go to the market 13 times a year. 10 markets in New York, one market in Los Angeles, and two markets in magic show. They have only two weeks to develop the 300 styles. And what are they selling? They are selling at throwaway prices. We call them making disposable clothing because we are making way junior garments and we don't have the amount of money. Can I in California work like New York where I have technical designers and tech packs and I'm going to wait for weeks for somebody to develop the sample? Hell no. I approve 30 to 40 styles per day. Ram, I want to I want to just go back to a point that that Dove made about the American culture. And, and I think that beyond and, and Dove, if you uh, agree with me, I'd like to know beyond technology and beyond cost, there is some barrier because, you know, in, in an industry where there is more initial markup of 70 or 80%. And by the time the goods go out the door at a department store, you're down to single digits or negative. Um, you're chasing this, this, this lowest cost, right, internationally. And, and somehow, where is all this margin going? It's going right out the door. Whereas, and I hate to use Zara as an example because we use it over and over again. They pay more for the product. They take less inventory risk. They fly the goods in. If it works, they replenish it quickly. If it doesn't work, their, their inventory liability is, is quite, quite small. Why is it time and time again that we could study your business, we could study their business, we could study a dozen of the companies, Ram, you're talking about in California, that these big box department stores sitting here in New York or throughout the country are unable to replicate? Well, listen, the things are changing now. So the players before may fall down, Okay. There's new retailers that are coming up. They're online. They don't know the old rules, and they don't care about it. For example, 
uh, you have this company, Fashion Nova. He's doing a billion dollars a year, okay? The CEO's named Richard. He, 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 the biggest challenge for him is to get the goods made and make, make them fast and not to screw around, you understand? He doesn't care. It's like, if you can make it for a price that works for him, he's golden. It, it, and, and who does he answer to? He doesn't have, there's no buyers, there's no merchandisers, there's no advanced buying. He throws it up online if it works and scales it. And most of what he makes, he makes locally here in Los Angeles because there's no time to mess around and think, well, can I do a cheap one if you want this or that? And he's, he's printing money. Everybody's jealous of this guy right now. Okay? So these old retailers in New York can basically, they're going to disintegrate. They're probably, the, 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 the center, look, I'm from Montreal. I'm, born at the Jewish General Hospital. I, you know, I went to school in Boston. I am an East Coast birth. It's, for me, it's over what's going on over there. Those institutional retailers are going to be facing some major headwinds and they're in trouble. The center of, uh, of a lot of what's going to be going forward in the United States is going to be in Los Angeles because the, the industries here, they, we have dyers, knitters, garment dyers, we have cutters, sewing operations. Tukatech is based here as an example. Uh, I, you know, they're, they're, they're a huge resource locally. There is going to be an international dogfight. And you could talk about Zara, but now Zara has been duplicated by 22-year-old young entrepreneurs that, 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 that uh, Ram just alluded to. Okay, that have started businesses or $5 million business, for example, they're manufacturing themselves or shipping themselves. There is an enclave in New York. You could do it in Brooklyn. You could do it, you could do it in Pennsylvania. There, there is the possibility of doing it in Miami where I'm saying where it's really going to happen and it's already happening in a massive way is here in Los Angeles. And I'm thick in the middle of it and one of the, one of the leaders of this whole movement. So, Dove, I want, I want to pivot just for one second. You know, what does direct-to-consumer brands, you know, what does it take from a brand-building perspective? What does one need to do? So with these 22-year-olds that Ram's alluding to, what do you think is this, is this secret sauce here for someone looking to start a digitally native or direct-to-consumer brand? You've been successful in this, obviously, with your second venture. How do you build awareness? How do you get known? How do you get talked about in such a crowded market? It seems that every day I go on Facebook, I see someone trying a new, a new sock company, underwear company, a new denim company. You know, what do you recommend? You better stand for something or get the hell out of the way. And if you're not a tastemaker, you don't deserve to be there. It's going to be survival of the fittest. It's not everybody that's going to get in. There's only a few people that get to be, you know, on the NFL. That's it. You know, like some people, they say, what can you advise me? Can you help me? If you're asking me for help, you know how many people call me every day? Can you mentor me? Can you help me? I, you know what I'm saying? If you're asking me, you don't have to know. Get the hell out of the way. It's like, you know what I mean? It's like, I can, it's like if I was a coach to a basketball player or a gymnast, I can refine what they're doing. But if you, if you're not ready to go, get out of the way. It's, 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 it's brutal. But many people don't deserve to be leading their own company, and they shouldn't be, okay? They should be working for someone that can do it. Now, that's not this. And the second thing I tell people's recommendation, no matter what I tell you here in this room, first of all, you shouldn't be asking, you know, you can ask me for ideas, you can pick my brain, you go to lunch, but I'm not going to give you the secret formula to become the NFL, uh, an NFL ball player, okay? 
Now, the second thing I'll say is don't listen to me anyway. Because you listen to too many people, you're not going to get to the finish line. If you want to build a real brand, you got to get out there and build that brand. Whether you're Donald Trump or Stormy Daniels you got, or, 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 or the Clintons, you got to build a brand. you got to make it work, and, if, and the public has to buy into it. The fact is, there are pockets of people there that will buy into different kinds of music, whether it's reggae or whether it's hard rock. And the idea is, you got to get out there stand for something, make noise, capture some, capture some attention, and then feed into, feed into that, 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 that demand cycle through a, a rapid reaction supply system. Because you try to take it offshore, it usually doesn't work. That's why so many domestic, the, 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 the largest, if you think of Fashion Nova as an example, and I don't know much about the company, I've been on their website for three minutes, but I, the phenomenon is clear. He's been able to capture demand online. And then he's manufacturing while everybody's offshore. The Gap, Forever 21, all of the players are offshore. He's now domestic with low price point, And he's generating, from what I'm hearing, $100 million plus EBITDA. So he's now proven, and I proved also at American Apparel, although, like I said, the company was stolen from me by, you know, uh, corrupt forces on Wall Street. It happens, okay? But it was generating in the last 10 years up to my ousting a quarter billion dollars of EBITDA. But this guy did it in the mid-price. He's done it on a lower price point and he's generated even more sales than I did with very few bricks and mortar stores. He, he started there and he's killing it. I, I don't want to speak to his aesthetic because if someone asked me, it's, I don't know, it's, it's not my cup of tea, I would say in French, okay? But that's, that's irrelevant. Because he found a customer. He found a consumer. So he's now, of the current age, one of the most important exa- textbook examples of the new Zara. Because he's been able to generate a billion dollars. Like, how much does Zara do? 10, 15, 20 billion, I don't remember, right? He's doing 1 billion. He's doing 1 billion, and it's going further on, and it's made in Los Angeles. That's the remarkable element of it. And he's proven, yeah, rapid reaction, urban manufacturing distributed from a U.S. point. I think he's in Santa Fe Springs or somewhere. I don't know where. Distributed from Los Angeles, from the Los Angeles area. That, uh, excuse me for saying, that worked. I was going to say that S. So, Dove, would you, works. would you say that there's a little bit of a bubble, maybe? The fact that every day there's a new direct-to-consumer brand popping up? No, 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 no. If you can't take that as an early warning and don't sharpen your pencil and don't understand what's going on, you're going to get a very rude awakening, Mr. Big Brand. There are hundreds, hundreds, and hundreds of... Look, I'm in the technology business. I'm in 41 countries. It is shameful to tell you that the least amount of technology, our technology at least, is being used in the United States of America. And we consider to be the leading technologists, out-of-the-box thinkers. Countries like Pakistan, for God's sake. Pakistan. You walk into the design room, they've got touchscreen 55, 70-inch televisions where the designers, all of them are under 30-year-olds, technologically apt, and they are doing amazing job. 
Whereas in New York, we're still printing the color copies of the black and white pictures painted with whatever print that we're going to do. And we got swatches and we got real estate being used. I'm telling you, this is as early as yesterday. I was in New York. This is so not productive. People are so afraid to make a change in North America and the middle management, junior management is so intent to keep their job. The senior management is so not with the technology, whereas the young people, to them, it's a natural. They don't even need training. They figure things out. Um, Ram, I, I, I agree 100% that the aggregate of all these new players are slowly eating up uh, the, the market uh, share and marketplace of these larger retailers. But I guess what I was trying to go, get, get to was what Dove kind of said is that, you know, there's only going to be room for one or two of these uh, digitally native brands in each category. So these, that's not true. That's not, not true. No, not at all. There's going to be room for small ones. Massive ones, there's going to be room for an enormous amount, and many of these small ones can emerge. Some of the big ones will fall. Look, you had you had um, Nasty Gal made it up to $100 million plus and crashed to zero. So it's not, it's not going to be as simple as you're saying. It's going to be one or two oligarchs that run the whole business. That's not accurate. Look at Stitch Fix. Doing very well. Wow. What, what is it? Do you know how many of Stitch Fix are right now on the horizon doing 20 million plus in California? You could also say, uh, look at Trunk Club and look at the massive write down that uh, Nordstrom had to do with it. For every pessimist who is going to look at one failure, I need them to go to Las Vegas and look at one winner out of millions of failures and then figure out where are they. In garment industry, yes, there are failures. But you know what? Those who fail early learn from failure, pivot their businesses. I, I, I got to mention something here. There are third generation, second generations coming in to the garment business. Many of these businesses are family-owned businesses in America or all over the world. And these young people coming in from Stanford or UCLA and USC and so on, they're walking in with family business background in garment, but their understanding of technology and they're launching companies from their parents backing. And I tell you something, the rapid growth that these people are having is really scary for big brands. If they don't watch all these little guys eating five, five, five million dollars each, very soon those big numbers are going to become serious numbers. And most of these people wouldn't even know what hit them. So I want to, I wanna, we could continue this conversation all day, and, um, but I want to end with, with one question for both of you. Um, obviously, you're, you're, you know, Ram, you are, as Dove said, borderless in, you, in your business, but you're both very pro-America uh, and see a lot of opportunity for bringing manufacturing back or the growth of manufacturing in America, especially in California. Do you think with Trump's um, uh, threat of tariffs or the need for speed or the combination of both, do you think we're going to see a resurgence in domestic manufacturing? And 
do you suggest companies start looking at this as, as a solution to their retail and brand woes? Protectionism will not result in any advancements for domestic manufacturing. It will complicate things. Um, it will also understand that Europe just put on a 37% tariff on made in USA t-shirts and jeans. It was previously 12% and it's now 37%. Donald Trump's strategy is not advancing the world. What, what, or, what, now, there, China is engaging in unfair trade practices. It is too difficult to export into China, into Mexico, into some area. And, and, and that's true. But we should be pursuing free trade. We shouldn't be engaging in trade wars. I think we can. I think there's a more delicate way to approach trade than he's approaching, than the way that the Trump administration is approaching it. I'm a free trader, 100%. I was indoctrinated by Brian Mulroney and Ronald Reagan. I support worldwide free trade. And that's what I think Donald Trump needs to get behind. I believe maybe he is in that place. I don't know. A free trade will advance the domestic apparel industry, believe it or not. Free trade, that we have access to the Chinese market because believe me, the Chinese consumer wants made in USA clothing. I know it because I've sold, I've sold and earned millions of dollars in China. I've exported into China as early as last week, okay? And Europe wants made in USA too for a lot of reasons because the way we make it, the brands that we have, the cuts, it's a, for a lot of creative reasons. So I, I, uh, I don't, the way, this idea that we're going to build up tariffs to enhance the uh, domestic industry is, is, a laughable, is laughable. My take on this one is a little different. My, I don't want people to be influenced by a president who is just a temporary leader in this country or in this world. But our business is, have to have a sustainability. We need to learn from our competitors, from what we call the leaders in the industry, that whether it is the small company or the large company, we need to look at what can we do in-house. Now, yes, Los Angeles Apparel is a vertical company from yarn up to the final garment. But Los Angeles industry allows people to really branch out and get cutting down someplace or sewing and finishing down someplace and so on, but gives me the flexibility for, for me to preach to everybody that you should do everything in the United States. It's too big a project. The project should be, my focus is I am going to do in-house or in-country or in-city as much as possible and not look at what my cost here is, but look at it, what my profit is going to be. My days of designing, making, and then selling are fading away. It is designing, selling, and then making. I am getting financed by my customer, my consumer, who's paying on the credit card already to me. Then I'm making it. That is the micro factory, the design to development, to manufacturing on demand. Believe it or not, 100 companies doing a million dollars each today is $100 million taken away from somebody or the other who was supposed to be making 5 7% profit, while these people are making 30 40% profit by doing it fast. So 
enough said on the speed. If wise people don't take it, it is not wise to miss out on the opportunity. My mantra all my life has been change is constant. Growth is optional. <laughs> I like that. I like that. All my life. Whatever I did yesterday, all those days when management consultants told you you need to organize yourself, you must make a to-do list, can-do list, shall-do list. Well, all that is history. Today, every day, you're going to have to get up and make a not-to-do list. Whatever I did yesterday, can I not do it and still get ahead? If I don't have that attitude, I'm done. In this fast-changing world of internet, fast is not fast enough. I think there's um, that, that's very, very, very profound, and I think your um, many years of success um, uh, speaks to speaks to this. Um, I really want to thank both of you for for taking the time uh, to speak with uh, me today. I know the Sourcing Journal uh, audience is going to really appreciate hearing from both of you. Ram Dove, thank you very much for uh, for taking the time to be with us today. Thanks for listening. To hear more insightful conversations like this. Be sure to subscribe to Sourcing Journal Radio on Apple iTunes, Google Play, and tune in. Also get your ticket now to the Sourcing Journal Summit in New York on October 11th. We'll be bringing together a slate of provocative thought leaders to discuss the challenges that face the industry as we move forward towards Sourcing 5.0. Hear from Rick Darling, Executive Director of Lee and Fung's LF Americas, Steve Lamar, Executive Vice President of the American Apparel and Footwear Association, Karen Moon, CEO and co-founder of Trendalytics. Isaac Korn, Director of Innovation and Automation for Perry Ellis. And many more as we discuss the impact of the trade war, the ongoing retail recovery, and how technology is transforming retail. Visit our site, sourcingjournal.com, for more details.